This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the man, the myth, the legend, the president of the International Wakanda Exchange, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? Hey, brother. I'm, I'm still in Wakanda, man. I'm still in Wakanda. You're still there. You're recording from Wakanda right now, huh? <laughs> in my in my mind, I am. I've been to the Marvel movie mountaintop, and I don't want to come down. See, that's good, man. See, I'm actually going. That's that's going to be a thing now. You're we're going to be referencing Wakanda. You're going to be the Wakanda International Exchange president. I've got to get myself a catchy name. Listen, I'm just going to say that that T'Challa is going to know better. T'Challa is going to understand that. We need to be a part of Wakanda, so I'm just gonna prophetically speak that, <laughs> and then I'm just gonna yeah give myself a job description, and then just start working for Wakanda right where I'm at. Hey, let's do it. Let's do it. So there are two reasons why we're here today. The first reason is we didn't do an episode last week because both you and I got nasty sick at the same time, oh. right before our PTM live tour stop in Pensacola, Florida. So we were unable to record, which is a huge bummer. We recorded some extra content in Pensacola, but I also thought it would be good and right and fair and just, uh, (laughs) see what I did there. It would be- All those biblical. Yes. It would be just if, because we missed an episode last week, we told you guys, we rewarded you guys for still listening by telling you guys where we're going next on the PTM live tour. I I think that's fair. Are we going to let them know? Oh, we should let we them, let them know already. See, we're gonna stay in the okay. south, okay? Because the south is is where it's at. We're gonna stay kind of in the south. Uh, what? Kind of a little te- bit west. Where my Texas people at? Huh? Where Texas at? What? Where Dallas at, man? Texas. Dallas, we coming, baby. We coming, Y'all get Dallas. ready. We coming. When we gonna be there? We when coming we gonna there. Be there. Early April. Save your save your weekends. First or second weekend of April. We still finalizing it, but we gonna be in Dallas first or second weekend of April. Save your coin. Uh, save your Wakandan dollars because we're going to be there. Save your vibranium, okay? That's how you're going to be able to get we in. Vibranium for ticket admission. We will. We will. So our peeps in Dallas, but, we know so many awesome people who are going to be yes. there. And we I'm love so y'all. We have got such a great response from folks in Dallas just commenting in our Pass the Mic Facebook group or on social media. Y'all live out there. I mean, already the support is like, wow. So we cannot wait to get there and meet y'all in person. Coming to you first or second weekend of April. We will have dates finalized soon, but that will be our second Pass the Mic tour live stop. Now, other cities, hang on. We coming to you. We're going to announce some other dates soon. Uh, NYC, we come in. LA we come in Dallas we might even throw we might even throw some other other cities in there man you you never I'm know we for one know. in particular I'm uh, okay I'm not even going to get on that because that's <laughs> fake news Jamar thinks I don't want to go to one particular city and it's not true okay so I'm not even going to mention the city because it's too that might windy be up listening. there 
Nah, nah, don't even do that. Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. Now, so Jamar, the second reason why we're here, it's not just because we were sick last week, but also because I had a bit of a moment last week, okay? I have to admit that on the podcast. Can I talk about it? That's what we're here for, man. Talk about it. Tell us what's on your mind. I got triggered, bro. I got triggered by something that happened last week. Because you see, I'm a recovering Fox News watcher. Wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. Right. what? Run that back. Nah, don't do not do that. Don't do that. See, this is what the saints do. This is how the churchy saints do. See, Uh-oh, I got to tap my headphones. Is, am I hearing this uh-uh, right? No, no. See, some of y'all been saved all your little life. Okay. See, some of y'all been woke <laughs> since the day you, you stepped out of the womb. Okay. Some of y'all came out of the womb with a, with a fist up. Okay. See, I got a testimony. <laughs> I've been through some things, all right? Okay, okay. And, and, Witness to it. And I'm a recovering Fox News watcher, okay? When I was growing up, I was conservative, and it was communicated to me by the Christian school that I went to and by my Christian friends that the reasonable service for all Christians is to be Republican and that you needed to watch Fox News because I hear, I, I don't know, Jamar, I've heard that theirs is the new station of Fair and Balanced, Okay. Fair and balanced commentary. Uh, uh. So that's what they claim. Uh. So I used to, to listen to it. Now I got upset and I got triggered because the situation happened. And I thought about all the hours that I had spent watching Fox News, listening to these conservative radio commentators and watching them on television. And I got mad, Jamar. Okay, so I got to tell y'all while I'm why I'm upset. I got to tell y'all about the situation. Listen, come on, man. You you gotta let you gotta let me get this out because it's a moment for me for the culture. Somebody got my testimony. See, that's why they that's why they say you have testimony service because somebody else got your same testimony. All right, it's not biblical, <laughs> but it sounds good. All right. <laughs> so I was watching ESPN and I was watching Carrie Champion. She was driving around LeBron James and Kevin Durant, two of the greatest basketball players of our generation. And they were talking about some things. Now, did you watch that interview, Jamar? Yeah, I caught that. I caught that. It was hot. It was really good. But there were some things in it that I found I already knew were going to be controversial. Okay, so so I'll just read just a couple of little things here from this particular interview and let y'all be the judge on some of it. I'll give just a little commentary. So she's talking about Akron and they're, they're driving through Akron and LeBron is taking them to famous stops or stops that. Uh, really encouraged him as a young basketball player and as a young Akron native. And so he says something. He says, when you're growing up in an African-American community, it's like everyone is so happy when we're all on the same level. And as soon as you are able to become a little successful with anything in life, even as a kid, even as a 14 or 15 year old, people envy that. Now I got to tell you, Jamar, I was a little off put by those comments. So at first I was like, where is LeBron going with this because it sounds like, you know, what we're not finna do in 2018 is traffic stereotypes about the black community. Okay. So can we not do that? Because it's, it's a mentality that people talk about all the time. They say, oh, it's crabs in a barrel mentality in the African-American community. And I think that's unfair. I think that a level of success in all communities leads to some people close to you feeling a certain type of way. That doesn't mean it's African-Americans. That doesn't mean we're tearing each other down. That doesn't mean we don't support each other. I mean, look at the Black Panther box office. If you think we don't support each other, come on now. You know, look at Oprah's own network. Look at all these things. Uh, people buying your shoes, LeBron. Come on, don't be saying people envious of you while we buying your shoes. Okay, now this is the, the one thing negatively I'm going to say about LeBron 
because I got mad respect for him, but I had to be truthful, okay? I had to be the real fair and balanced news <laughs> right here on PTM. I see. Okay, so he said that. Did that bother you, Jamar? I have to know. I mean, I mean, I see. I definitely see your point. That's that's the that's the difficult part about white supremacy. It's so insidious that it can affect any comment or any sort of perspective that we have. And so we get so many negative messages about black communities. Right. I mean, the assumption is that all or most of black people are poor. They all or most mostly live in the ghetto undereducated, all these things are media messages that we get through film, through uh, Mm -hmm. television, through news, all that stuff. And so, and it's not true, right? That's the point. That's the point is that it's not true. And so we got to be very careful with our language, right? So LeBron, you know, he's been successful in basketball his whole life. I mean, this is one of the most famous people on the planet right now. And so, yeah, there's always going to be haters. Some of them are going to be black, but that doesn't mean that's like endemic or particular to the black community. So you got to be careful. I know I'm not perfect in, in that regard or that account. We know LeBron loves black people and black communities, but especially in a conversation that's open to the entire world and the whole public, not not just talking to black people or behind closed doors, we got to be careful that we're not um, unintentionally reinforcing negative stereotypes about black communities. So I see what you're saying. Right. That's very important. That's all I was coming from. Okay. Now that's the last semi-critical thing I'm going to say about LeBron, this entire podcast. Okay? Cause he was right about everything else. Uh, sorry. Cause he was, <laughs> he was right on, bro. He was right on. Okay. Hashtag LeBron had a point. Okay. You remember Killmonger had a point. Hashtag LeBron has a point. <laughs> so Kerry Champion asked him about the climate for athletes both on the court and off the court. And so she references LeBron calling the president of the United States a bum on Twitter. So LeBron then says, the climate is hot. The number one job in the world in America is a person who doesn't understand the people. And he really doesn't give a blank about the people. I never thought I could be president of the United States, but I grabbed inspiration from that position. And at the time right now with the president of the United States, We're at a bad time. And while we cannot change what comes out of that man's mouth, we can continue to alert the people that watch us and listen to us that this is not the way. He goes on to say, I'm a black man with a bunch of money and having a crib in Brentwood and having the, which is LA and having the N word spray painted over my gate. That lets me know that I ain't too far removed. And I still got a lot more work to do. No matter how far you come, or how much money or success or how high you become in life as an African-American man or female, they will always try to figure out a way to let you know that you are still beneath them. Now, that's hashtag facts, Jamar. I, I don't see what was controversial there, brother. Um, you talk to the majority of black people and they're like, yeah, that's right. I mean, these are historically I mean, and, verifiable and, facts. And even if they disagree, here's the thing. Like, yo, that's a very valid perspective. That's a valid perspective. There are both Republicans and Democrats, white people and black people, people of all socioeconomic strikes and in different industries who acknowledge that the president is a loose cannon, who acknowledge that the president is saying things that are shameful as a representation of his office. That is not controversial, nor should it be controversial. But it was controversial with one particular Fox News host. 
Now, we're not going to mention her name on the air because, again, this is triggering for me. Okay, like I said, I got a testimony. So don't be a stumbling block and mention her name to me. Okay, let's just talk about them generally, all of them as Fox News hosts. Okay, so this particular Fox News host in our commentary segment, she says this. She says, this is a jump doc alert which is basically her way of saying a dumb jock. Wow, alert. okay. NBA, exactly. We're going to get there, Jamar, okay? <laughs> Just wait, Wakanda. Wakanda coming, <laughs> all right? We're going to get there. So NBA superstar LeBron James is talking politics again, and this time it's R-rated. Here's his barely intelligible, not to mention ungrammatical take on President Trump. Come now, we on, could man. stop there. Come on. We could Stop there. Not even there. But we'll keep going. Okay. We'll keep, right. we'll keep going. Now, she says this after playing a little clip of LeBron and Kevin Durant's comments. She says, must they run their mouths like that? Unfortunately, a lot of kids and some adults take these ignorant comments seriously. Look, there might be a cautionary lesson in LeBron for kids. This is what happens when you attempt to leave high school a year early to join the NBA. And it's always unwise to seek political advice from someone who gets paid $100 million a year to bounce a ball. So keep the political commentary to yourself, or as someone once said, shut up and dribble. Now, Jamar, let's go to Wakanda, bro. Come on, let's go to Wakanda. Let's take this, let's take this to the Wakandan jungles, bro. Okay. Let's go there. All right. I mean, there's I, I need I need some Wakanda up in here, man. See, tell, tell me what you I think. I was trying to stay on the mountaintop a little bit longer, but you're gonna bring me down to the valley, huh? Okay. All right. You live in America, bro. See, you live in America. All right. I got I gotta break it to you. You uh, Oakland. All I'm right. Trying to, you're not you're not Wakanda. I'm trying to pull right. my lip down and see the blue writing. But anyway, um nah, it's, it's not there, brother. It's not there. <laughs> well, look, the 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 whole framing of this thing is problematic, right? Like that, that number one, if you can go back and tolerate watching the video, watch it because this woman's entire affect is condescending. Okay. Her tone of voice, her facial expressions, even her hand gestures, they're all designed to communicate this arrogant superiority toward uh, the people uh, she's about to talk about in the statements that they make. So so e- even just reading the words doesn't do it justice. You got to see the whole thing if you can tolerate it. Trigger warning. Right. So and then she frames it. She talks about grammar like this. This this whole thing. That's an ad hominem attackment. It, it is designed. Right. It is designed to trigger people to call to mind this idea of black intellectual inferiority. By saying that they're speaking in casual English, the implication is they don't have the intelligence. They don't have the intelligence to speak, quote unquote, like us, meaning educated white folks. Right. That's that's the whole context. Right. And I'll tell you what, the most disturbing line to me isn't even the shut up and dribble line, which everyone keeps quoting. Mm. The most disturbing line to me came far earlier in the tirade uh, mm. when she talks about why do they run their mouths like that? I mean, read, read the exact line. Must, 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 must they run their mouths like see, that? See that right there. Stop right there, Miss whoever you are, what your name is. Um, Come on, Wakanda. Come on, Wakanda. You, what you're not about to do, what you're not finna do in 2018 is otherize me through condescending language 
by using these pronouns, must they run their mouths? That's the equivalent of saying, quote unquote, those people, by which you mean black people. Right. And she's saying this on national television and just blase, blase, blase about it. No, no problem at all. And what she's doing again is calling to mind uh, it's 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 this blanket generalization that black people are somehow out of their place because of what they're saying. And that to me, that yeah. line by itself, it was like done. I I can't I can't even go there with you. Uh, it, it was dripping with racism, even though she didn't have to even say the words black or white or whatever. Now, this is why we brought this up, because what you're talking about in that previous answer is this idea of people bringing things to mind without explicitly saying them. And this is core and critical for both black and brown people and also people in the majority to understand in race relations discussions, because I think it's important for us to grasp what a dog whistle is. A dog whistle and dog whistle politics are thinly veiled remarks or strategies that insult groups of people without using overt slurs. Now, one of the problems in these discussions, and I think even one of the problems, this isn't really just an inter-community discussion with the majority, but this is also an intra-community discussion within Black and Brown communities, because a lot of people will take umbrage with the idea that we openly call something racist. They would take umbrage with the idea that we openly call something and boldly call something xenophobic or bigoted or racially ignorant or biased. And they say, how do you know this person's intent? Now, Jamar will talk to you in a moment about intent versus impact. But before we get to that, we have to acknowledge that there are tactics and strategies that people use and have used historically, especially in the political arena to make people think of certain things that would lead to an emotional, visceral response. I'll give you an example. So when Ronald Reagan was running for president, he used dog whistles by talking about welfare queens. (laughs) And he would also talk about strapping young bucks. He would always uh, try to point to this idea that, that exactly, he would always try to point to this idea that that people were were going to manipulate the government system and manipulate welfare in particular and food stamps. And what they were going to do was, was benefit off the backs of the American people who work hard and who can barely make ends meet. But these people are eating steaks and these people are driving Cadillacs and these people are welfare queens. And so the underlying sentiment and the underlying analogy was that, oh, he's talking about black community. He's talking about the inner city, but he doesn't have to say it. He can just bring other things to mind. I'll tell you someone else who used dog whistle politics. Can I go here, Jamar? Uh, we got to do it, man. Be a witness. Come on. We just got to listen. We got we to gotta be right. We got to be truthful. And someone who used dog whistle politics frequently when she was running for president, yes, I said she, is Hillary Rodham Clinton. Now, Hillary Clinton, when she was running against then-Senator Barack Obama, used tons of dog whistles. Her husband used tons of dog whistles to imply that Barack Obama was a radical, to imply that he was suspicious, 
to imply some people even within her campaign implied that he was on drugs, implied that he had connections to Muslim or Middle Eastern Brotherhood or Islamic terrorists. Uh, President Clinton, her husband, said that he was a radical, implied that he was a radical based upon his connection to certain people. So even we see within people, within quote unquote, racially just uh, democratic parties, it's not even about the partisan politics. It's not about one side versus the other. This happens all the time. And there's another place that this happens, Uh Jamar, a place that you and I know Uh very well. It's called the church. Here we go. Now, the church also uses dog whistles. And because we have refused to acknowledge it, we are are actually more susceptible to using them than what we think. I'll just give you one example, and then you can give me a, another example, Jamar. But I'll just say from my personal experience, what I've seen is that we have a tendency to refer to black and brown people within the church, especially those who have a platform ministry, from the standpoint of entertainment. You were, quote unquote, entertaining. I had one pastor tell me one time, he said, I follow you because you have such great rhetorical gifts. Well, that and, sounds and He was critiquing my politics. <laughs> yes, he was critiquing my politics. He said, I follow you because you have such rhetorical gifts and you are very articulate. Okay. So I follow you because you put words together really nice and that entertains me. But then he proceeded to dismiss my gospel fidelity. He basically said, you're using your platform to promote your own agenda, sans the agenda of Jesus Christ in the scriptures. And to do that, he had to take a swipe at the idea that I, this is what you're here for, boy, which he might as well just have said. You are here to entertain us, to speak well, to be funny to raise your voice at certain points in anything that entertains us. That's why we follow you. But really and truly, we know what you're all about. And so he casts suspicion and aspersions upon me as a Black minister, as a Black preacher, that would resonate with the people who are watching us discuss things in public. Jamar, do you have any other dog whistles uh, in the, the church? church um, we are, too, affected by society. And so I have heard churches that are contemplating moving the geographic location of their congregation. Usually it is to, usually it is to someplace more middle class, suburban, further from the city center. And to justify it, or to explain the move, they'll say something like, well, the neighborhood is changing. And, what? Boy, come and on, by that they mean it is more poor people are moving in and they're likely poor black and brown people. And so we need to get away. Now, obviously, they won't put it that crassly. That's why they say the neighborhood's changing. And then they'll couch it in other terms, such as, well, we just want to move closer to where our people are. Well, the people have done the same thing that the church is contemplating. They have uh, likely moved from uh, within the city boundaries or closer to the city center out toward more affluent suburbs that are geographically and spatially secluded from the less pleasant parts of society in their minds. And so even churches can fall into these sort of dog whistle type coded language when really what they mean is race and or class. And it's everywhere. Mm. Yeah, it is, man. We can actually go through this particular Fox News host's 
um, diatribe about LeBron James to identify some of these dog whistles so that people know what to look for. Um, first of all, she calls them dumb jocks, basically. Um, it is a, a reference as you go down, you, you know she makes it even clearer. She could have stayed there, but she says, here's his barely intelligible, not to mention ungrammatical take on President Trump. Now, what she's doing, as you mentioned earlier, Jamar, is she's swiping at the fact that LeBron James never spent a day in college. She's swiping at the fact that LeBron James makes hundreds of millions of dollars for, as she says, bouncing a ball. Mm. Now, what's interesting about that is it's clear that she believes that LeBron James is intellectually inferior to her. But let's take a closer look at how she would classify intellectual inferiority. She is paid to opine. She is paid to be a commentator. And so she's good at commentating in her mind. But the reality is LeBron James is not just good at bouncing a ball. LeBron James, without the benefit of a college degree, LeBron James, without the benefit of business training, has transformed his persona into being one of the top athletes outside of his particular sport, outside of his athletic discipline, when it comes to making money, entrepreneurship, executive producing, managing other athletes, and might I add, philanthropy. She points at LeBron James and says, there is a lesson for kids in this. Now, I don't know which kids she's talking about, <laughs> but maybe she's talking about one of the 1,100 kids that uh -oh. LeBron James has pledged to spend $41 million to send on full ride scholarships Ooh. once they graduate from high school. Maybe she's talking about one of those. Maybe she's talking about one of the kids that LeBron James supports in his after school program, of which he has given $2.5 million to. Mm. Maybe she's mm -hmm. talking about one of the kids mm. that he, when he won the All Star game, on this past Sunday was able to give over $300,000 to that after school. Maybe she's talking about one of those. Wow. Kids. It's, I smell something, my guess I is, smell something burning. <laughs> my guess is she's not. And so when you point to intellectual inferiority, when a person has a history of philanthropy and entrepreneurship, we can't help but say there's something else that you're pointing to. Yeah. There's something behind the statement. And that's this, and that's this, Jamar. And I just have to say this and I'll kick it to you, is that to many people, black success is intrinsically offensive. That to see black people succeed, to see them enjoy all of the indulgences that our current president has spent a lifetime playing up and talking about, to see them bask in opulence in any way, shape, or form is intrinsically offensive to them. One of the things that that students of history say is that everything has a history. And so what this commentator is pointing to is actually very old. It's a very old trick in the in the white supremacy handbook. Uh, you can go back to the Civil War and immediately after uh, the war and the slaves uh, gained their emancipation, one of the first things they did was go out and build schools, K through 12 schools, colleges and universities, because they had been systematically denied an education for so long that when they got their freedom, one of the first things they wanted to do is learn how to read and write and do figures. By that, they meant uh, learn how to do math. And so uh, when white people saw this, of all the many comments they said, one of the most frequent was they commented 
how absurd they thought it was that black people would want an education because they believed them to mm. be they believed black people to be intellectually inferior in general and particularly inferior to white people so it was absurd to them that these simple minded people would try to go out and get some learning and they said that and so what this commentator is alluding to is all of that history that views black people not only as undereducated but as less intelligent than white people and of course they won't nobody will come out and say that well i won't say that anymore that used to be that it wasn't some people political. Will. Some people will. it used they to will be keep their jobs as well and we'll keep their job probably get bigger platforms but anyway my point is seldom uh will people come out and just say that but instead they'll use this coded language this dog whistle language and they will subtly allude to improper grammar or the fact that he didn't go to college and went directly to a lucrative career that, as you said, he's uh, given away more money than most of us will ever make in a lifetime, but he's being generous to the people uh, in need. So, yeah, all of that has a history, and it's pretty disgusting. And, and it's also a history within sports as well. So we should point out the fact that there is a history within sports of activism that goes beyond the simple game that they play. And there are a lot of athletes who just simply cash in their paychecks and they go out and they spend their money on fancy things and they never speak on these things. What is especially laudable in LeBron's case is that he is the best basketball player in the world. One of the best basketball players to ever dribble a basketball, to ever lace them up and go on a court. And he is speaking positively about certain things. Now, LeBron James is not saying anything that is outside the bounds of what senators and congressmen and former presidents and other people have said themselves. But because he is LeBron James, there is a subtle message, uh, sometimes not so subtle message, that he should stay in his lane, that he should stay in his place. Now, these are the same things that they said to Muhammad Ali. These are the same things that they said to people like Jack Johnson. These are the same things that they said to people like Colin Kaepernick. These are the same things that they said to men and women who took stands in the spheres of athletics. And what is interesting, what is so fascinating to me, is that there is still this perception for people who have achieved the highest and the greatest level of success in America. There is still, not, not because they were given, it was given to them by charity but because they worked hard, but because they came, in LeBron James' case, from abject poverty, because they came from a rough background, because they worked hard to perfect a skill like no one else can do in the entire world, that now they should be quiet and grateful that we are allowing them to do something right. that none of us can do. That's the fascinating thing about all this, That's right. is when people say, leave the political commentary out of it, they're saying, you should be happy we're allowing you to do this, as though we own them, as though there's something about them that is less than, that they're just there as objects for our entertainment and not objects that should be there to challenge us. So and those are, it's not just a history within America, but it's also a history within sports, too. Yeah, no doubt. And it goes back to the point you were making about preaching. What this commentator's statement said was... 
we don't want men. We want minstrels. You hear what I'm saying? Come on, bro. Come on. She's saying she doesn't want to hear a fully realized human being expressing the complexity of his opinions and perspectives as if he can walk and chew gum at the same time or dribble a ball and pay attention to politics at the same time. She just wants someone who will entertain her Um, or on a broader scale, uh, white supremacy just wants black people to stay in their place, which is either for entertainment or for labor or both. And anything beyond that is beyond the pale. And you know what? There's a Christian equivalent to this one, too. It might step on some toes, but um, I've it, it, to me, the Christian equivalent would be something like, uh, shut up and just preach the gospel. Come on, Wakanda. I can't tell you. I can't tell you how many permutations of that sentiment I've heard. And it'll come right after I've spoken or written on issues of uh, race and or justice. And so for the people who have a different political stance, a different outlook, they'll say, oh, well, that's beyond the pale of the gospel. That's not something Christians or the church should be dealing with. That's a social issue. That's a political issue. Just preach the gospel. And only those parts, mind you, that talk about evangelism or personal (laughs) salvation, you know, personal holiness. Preach our gospel. That's what they say. Oh, there it is. That's better. That's better. Preach our gospel. Totally disregard all the parts of the Bible that talk about justice and the poor and all those kinds of things. And so there's a Christian equivalent that says, don't talk about all those other things that, by the way, affect you personally every day in various different ways. Don't talk about your actual experience. Don't talk about how the the Bible applies to that experience because it disagrees with my narrative. Just be quiet and stay within this little box that we've drawn for you and everybody's going to be happy. That we see it on Fox News and we hear it and see it in the church. And it's sad, fam. It's just sad. It is, man. And a lot of people may be asking, why are we talking about this? Um, And it's a fair question to ask because... I think for a lot of people, these things are distractions from bigger goals. But but I'll say this, man. Not only are there a lot of people who are listening who have to deal with friends, family members, and coworkers who, and even Christian brothers and sisters who would convey these sentiments, there's also the reality, as I was watching LeBron James speak about these issues and really thoughtfully kind of break down from his perspective what this means, what his responsibility is as one of the leaders in sports, and him to to talk about his responsibility to alert the people who are watching him of what's going on, that this is not the way. It struck me, man, because it, it, it struck me that LeBron James has in this area uh, more moral courage than a lot of the pastors in America. Ooh, wow. Like it, it struck me that LeBron James is willing to put himself on the line. And it's funny because a lot of the pastors that I hear talk about sports will always laud the people who give all the glory to God. And and one of our writers, uh, Rayshon, he talks about this in, in a really, really well put article on The Witness um, in speaking about Malcolm Jenkins and his juxtaposition with the rest of the Eagles. And it's just so funny that people will 
always talk about, oh, well, 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 look at these people. They're giving God glory. They're giving God praise and they're doing this. And they'll, they'll always talk about that and they'll always highlight that. But the, the athletes who take stands for moral issues, regardless of if we agree with their political stances, LeBron James did not give a political statement in my mind. Uh, he didn't talk about voting for a Republican or a Democratic Party. He didn't talk about public policy. He didn't talk about a specific bill that was up on the docket. He talked about moral decency and value. And regardless of, of how he articulated it or whether or not you think he shouldn't say anything or what have you, you have to recognize the fact that LeBron James is willing to stand by the courage of his convictions. That's right. And there are a lot of people in our churches who are not willing to do that. There are a lot of people in our churches who don't want to rock the boat. And, and by speaking truthfully, saying this is wrong, I don't care if I voted for him, I don't care what I did, what I said previously, but this, what I see here is wrong. That shows us that we have some moral cowardice in our churches. Mm. And it should be a shame for the church when athletes have a little bit more moral courage in this area than we do. Yeah. That's why I wanted to talk about it, Jamar. I, I like that. I like that. And I and, and I would just add a couple other reasons too. Like it's true. Like we we're not we we we're not really worried about the folks on this news network. We're not speaking to them. We're happy if they listen. <laughs> happy if they listen. But uh I do think it's important to address issues like this occasionally for a couple of reasons. One, uh a lot of people may not agree with this commentator but they're around a lot of people who do. And so by addressing this on this podcast, we hope to help equip you, give you some insight and also challenge you to address those people who would look at this commentary on this network and give their stamp of approval. They've liked it, they've shared it, or they've, they've commented positively about it. Well, you actually have an opportunity to challenge that within your network. I'm not necessarily talking about the stranger you don't know on Facebook or whatever, but family members, friends, coworkers, and they might be able to hear you in a way that they can't hear black folks or other folks who are talking about it. So I do think there's an opportunity here for listeners who are sympathetic to what we're saying to challenge those in their networks who are not. The second reason is because I want black people to feel liberated to speak about the truth of their experience as embodied black people in America. Because most of the time that people are disagreeing and say, shut up and do whatever, be an accountant, preach the gospel, whatever you do, what they're saying is you are bringing to my attention a perspective that is uncomfortable to me because it's unfamiliar. And if it's true, then I will be implicated in a negative way. But that doesn't mean that what you're saying isn't true. And so I want minorities and people of color who, who feel the pressure to silence themselves because of anticipated backlash like this or because they're afraid they're going to have to explain their whole existence. You don't have to do that, man. You, 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 you can speak the truth of your experience as you have experienced racism, marginalization and oppression and injustice, that is valid. And you don't have to stay in anybody's little box about what's appropriate to talk about or what's not. And so we're just trying to model that on this episode. Yeah. And I'll also say this as, as we close, man, one of the things that this 
commentator said after LeBron James gave his pretty stinging rebuttal is that, hey, King, come play on my court. She invites him onto her show. She invites him onto her show for ratings, for attention, to basically insult him and then use him. And, And I'll just say this, that in our circles, it is very disturbing uh, but that is what a lot of black and brown Christians go through. We speak boldly about certain things. We get insulted. And then people may not say, come on my show. They may say, hey, come out for coffee, which means that you're going to be tied up for three or four hours explaining basic things that they could have found out by a Google search. They're going to say, hey, go back and forth with me on Twitter. Go back and forth with me in a Facebook inbox on Messenger, because you sit down with me and have a Skype with me, have a call with me. Now, listen, I'm all for peacemaking, and I believe that's a good thing within the context of the gospel. And I also believe that it's really wise for us to heed the words of Paul, that as much as possible, if as much as lies within us, if it be possible, live peaceably with all men. I believe in that. If you are in uh, tension with someone in your circle of influence, within your denomination, uh, within your church context, within your neighborhood. It's a good thing to reconcile with them, to do everything that's possible. But a lot of times what we're doing is we're giving our time to people who we're not called to. We're giving our time to people and we're wasting our breath when, as you said before, Jamar, the seed's going to fall on rocky ground. <laughs> it's going to fall on stony ground sometimes. And so we have to dust off our feet and keep it moving. And so I think what a lot of people feel is that they are obligated when someone insults us, when someone talks about us, to remain Facebook friends with them, to continually talk to them, even though they had no relationship with us prior to these comments. They didn't know us, but they were bold enough to dismiss us. They feel like there's just an obligation there. And I'm just going to tell you, there's not. There's not an obligation in those instances. And sometimes what we're doing is we're actually allowing the enemy to distract us. Mm. We're allowing people to take our eyes off of what we're supposed to be doing. And if someone is causing division and if someone is intentionally pursuing you, calling you out, we've had this happen on the show before, come on my show, do this, do that. So we can get more attention or what have you talking about us without ever addressing. Listen, and this is not about disagreement. Jamar and I know we disagree a lot. Recently, we had a knockdown, drag out disagreement. Not it's not about out. that. Yeah, okay. Bro, yeah. It was knockdown, drag out. You know it was. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a thing. it's not about disagreeing, but what it's about is valuing someone's dignity enough to not use ad hominem attacks, yes. valuing someone's dignity enough to not twist their words, valuing someone's dignity enough to talk to them and not about them. Mm. And so if people are going to do that, Wipe the dust off your feet. Keep it moving. You don't have to worry about that mm-hmm. stuff, man. So yeah. there's freedom in that, man. There's Bro. freedom and you just letting that stuff slide sometimes. That's exactly right, man. You are speaking my heart because I used to be that person. I used to be the guy who... Any t- me too, bro. Anytime, particularly a white person, would would want to sort of sit down with me. And, 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 and they didn't just want to talk, right? They really just wanted to make their point and try to prove themselves right or vindicate themselves. It really wasn't about a dialogue. It was a monologue couched and framed in the guise of a dialogue. And that's what we're talking about here, especially when they get all the benefit and you do all the work, right? 
And I just I just believe that we have overburdened ourselves with an unbiblical level of responsibility. And in so doing, we're actually enabling their ignorance. Right. So you don't that's good, bro. You don't have to sit down with every conversation because it is killing you, fam. It is killing your spirit. It is killing your your body, your your body, physical health, all of that. And we need y'all for the marathon, not just the sprint. And so you got to be discerning. Not everybody who says, hey, let's talk actually has a dialogue or understanding in mind. A lot of times they just want to show you how right they are, how wrong you are. And we can be guilty of that ourselves. So we have to watch our walk. But I just I just want people to feel liberated to say no or to just keep it moving yeah. or to completely ignore it. Right. So be free, man. Be free. Be free. So, yeah, man, we're not going to shut up and dribble. We're not going to shut up and do fill in the blank. Nah, nah man. We say nah to that. We're going to keep it moving, man. And as LeBron James says, we are definitely not going to do that because what we have to say is valuable, bro. That's right. And that's a word. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.